Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Here we go for your lunch hour. Kelly Kirsch with you. Busy show today is uh, the day after the draft and the day before free agency. Hockey is big time all over the NHL and we'll all over it again right here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. And the two guys that didn't get to go on the radio at all yesterday. Logan Gordon. Hello. Howdy. Your, your mic still works? Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm saved up for today. Okay. And and Peter Klein, how, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good. Didn't get on the air yesterday, but on the upside, my office now looks immaculate. Oh. I was able to get a lot done in here. Yeah, I actually had a more productive day yesterday than I would have had if I was working. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. We're going to talk to Dehatchek coming in at about 1230, but let's... Uh, Let's wind him up. He's ready to go. Let's talk to Lou. Flames insider Peter Lubardius brought to you by the Gemini Group. Imagine your life, your style, your home renovation should be a reflection of you. Give your home the Gemini difference. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Lou, there's one question I want to ask you off the top because when I heard, you know, the guys mention who the Flames picked with uh, one of their later picks, I thought, oh, boy. I remember his uh, his uh, profile with Matty Rose and Peter Labardius, and that's the one uh, Jeremy Poirier. He is something. Boy, I am fascinated by this young man, and I know you are too. Sway. Even though there were questions and concerns in terms of his draft profile, Kelly, I think this, is arguably not only the most fascinating, but might have the most upside for the Flames of anything that happened yesterday. And so Poirier, he is an elite, elite offensive talent. 20 goals last year in the Quebec League, 17, 50-plus points. From the first time I saw him, and the first time that I'd watched him in any kind of game was in an inner squad red and white game at an under-17 camp for Team Canada. And it was, it was pretty evident for this guy that, you know, he could see the game, he could skate. He loved to have the puck on his stick. Now, the issue has been not quite enough interest or buy-in without it. So that was a player that the Flames ended up with at, what was it, 72 or 73 when it was all said and done, that for sure, for sure might have as much offensive ability um, as anyone taken as a defenseman in the entire draft. And you get him in that spot, the only thing I couldn't believe as it went on with Poirier, who now has a former Flames head coach and former NHLer and Greg Gilbert as his head coach in St. John, where he's already put up a point per game early in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League season, is the next step for this player is to buy in on the other side. But does he have, like, ridiculous offensive upside? He does. In fact, I would almost refer to him, Kelly, at this age, at this age, as Thomas Shabbat Light. Really? Those, yeah, yes. Those are the types. Those are the types of offensive gifts 
that he has. Now, I'm not sure he skates, and I said light. I didn't say, you know, the next coming of. I mean, that's that's a pretty high ceiling. But, you know, again, a lot of the same things. Shabbat's offensive mind, the way he saw the game at this age, really, really high. But he's, you know, continuing as a young defenseman in the league to learn his way away from the puck. Now, you can do it when you can do what he does at such an elite level. But remember, after, you know, a great season a couple of years ago, even for Shabbat, guess what? It hasn't come quite as easy ever since. But you're right. I knew you were going to go there. I didn't know you were necessarily going to go there first. But I love the swing. Like, that. that's one that at that... I do, too. I, do, I think good for them. It's worth yeah. a try. Uh, the upside is incredible. So okay. So uh, and and Pat had him on, and he gets it. He understands he's got to work on the defensive game. So what what do we got to do? Do we got to get him out for lunch with Sarchi and uh, Rhett Warner and Mike Commodore to talk about how to play defense? I mean, the Flames will have all kinds of people to help out with that and say, "How about this? How about that?" And if he's willing to learn. I think there's a lot they can they can teach him, right? What what was what was the thing that you just said? If he's willing to learn, you, it, that's it. That, listen, Kelly. For everyone in their own way, um, nobody wants to get away, and nor should they, from the gifts and the tools that they have that allow them to be successful. Um, you don't have to worry in this day and age about the Calgary Flames having great development people or great potential coaching in terms of how to play the game the right way. But what it boils down to is how interested are you in making the changes? And like so many other things in our lifetime, do you feel compromised by having to do it? Yeah. I don't want to sacrifice my offense because that's what got me there. But I'm going to have to do it. That that'll be the key in how how he approaches it, I guess. Well, I, th- I think that's that's the key all the time. And the other thing that we see, you know, for young players, your ability to make the transition and understand that you have to go about it differently. And chances are, outside of the odd exceptional talent, is you have to generally understand that when you're a high, high point producer at lower levels, like major junior Kelly, sometimes, you know, I've seen, I've seen cases, trust me. And I I could go over a few of them where, you know, Mike green would be an example right off the top of my head. The most goals Mike green ever scored in junior in Saskatoon was 14. But one year in Washington, he had 31, and he became an elite defenseman. So, again, a lot of it has to do with the individual. It's, it's in their growth, in their maturation, in what they're willing to do. And I just look at this as a great player who, if he is willing to do different and has the right people in his camp, um, there's great upside. And at that point in the draft, and the other part about it is, too, remember that right before him, the Flames took Jan Kuznetsov. And, and that's not a household name, and it won't be probably for a little while. 
But Kuznetsov, very interesting. In fact, as I was waiting to potentially go on the radio myself yesterday, I, I, I heard the name called, didn't necessarily register like immediately, and I went, didn't I watch that guy in the World Junior A Challenge in the final play against Canada East of course this did. year on television? <laughs> is that the same guy? So I went... Uh, you know, I saw the University of Connecticut. That didn't jump out at me right away. But I'm like, I know there's a place for this guy. So I spent a lot of yesterday, and Lord knows, you know, I felt like Bob Cole calling the 96 semifinal at the World Cup when it was over. This marathon <laughs> is over <laughs> watching yeah. yesterday's event. So I went back and I rewatched that game almost in its entirety um, yesterday afternoon as I was watching the draft. And what I saw, you know, 6-3, great frame, excellent, ra- excellent range, good stick usage, really defensively aware. And, and so I find it interesting. And the thing that I like, you know, for a team who yesterday added four guys on defense, and Brad Treleving talked about, you know, it wasn't, that they were reaching it's where guys fit in their grouping but to build a defense at the nhl level and guess what with free agency what are the flames looking to do too they've got some defensive work mm-hmm. now for the main, main club to do that's tomorrow's show lou <laughs> that it well it's one of tomorrow's show or partly today um but you're right kelly you can't have all of the same people So, you know, I I liked yesterday in the sense that Kuznetsov, to me, you know, and I haven't seen a ton, but I'll get to see more now. A, what do I know about him? Well, Russians get tricky because are they going to be okay coming to North America and be okay? Well, this guy's already been here for a couple of years. He's the youngest player in NCAA hockey. They they don't go to university in the States very often. That's that's, that's a rarity. That's, you know, and that's... That shows commitment to do that, my goodness. Like, Again, does it ever. So so that's a great sign. You know now that you already have somebody committed to come over to North America to live his dream of playing in the National Hockey League. You can't generally get into university at 17. If, you know, and, and now he's had to learn a different language and do both of those things. So to me, that shows... Well, just that, reverse you know, that, Lou. Just reverse that and put yourself in that situation yeah, at his age. It's called the No Chance Motel. Yeah, Lou, you're going to go to Moscow and go to no. university there and, uh, yeah, learn that language, would you? Yeah, no chance. And by the way, I've been and called hockey games in both Ufa and Omsk when that came up yesterday. <laughs> um, but you're right. It's, it's, it's so true. So it says so much about him and his character, which to me already is about three check marks. So you have a guy who looks like, you know, at the top could be an excellent two-way defenseman with top four potential. And now you've got the next guy who, if you hit one out of the park, you might have an elite offensive, even maybe top pairing, or if not top pairing, somebody who could run your power play going forward. So, there was a lot to like, and, and those were the two two guys in particular that really, really caught my attention about what the Flames did yesterday at the draft. Before we get uh, Peter Klein in the conversation, I wanted to take you back to uh, round one 
And as I was uh, listening and watching, it was like, is there like other teams besides Prince Albert and Brandon in the Western Hockey League? It was uh, it was a great day for Calgary uh, in round one. And, it was and uh, and really good for those uh, the, for PA and Brandon as well. They 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 got something good. Everything everything goes in cycles. We understand that, and it'll be other teams' turns later on. But that that's telling to see those organizations and and how how impactful they were in that round. Well, they they were for sure, Kelly, and and I would probably separate them a little bit because let's face it, even though he just recently sold the team, the job that Kelly McCrimmon and the Brandon Wheat Kings under his tutelage and guidance have done, you know, going way, way back over the last 30 years, I mean, it has just become an absolute place for great development and, and really highly, highly competitive teams. So Kelly McCrimmon and his scouting staff over the years – you know, they've, they, they put themselves in a neighborhood where, you know, they've been one of the elite programs in the league for a long time. Um, so, but, you know, what they've done in Prince Albert, Kelly, and in, in 2012, let's be frank, you know, they won the league championship a couple years, you know, the last time I guess it was contested. It seems like 100 years ago, but that actually was 2019. Um when they won the league, small market, Prince Albert in this day and age, not necessarily the, uh, you know, if, if you're from the Vancouver area and somebody takes you and says you're going to spend a full winter in Prince Albert. Now, if you go there in the summer, it's a different story. Trust me, I yep. grew up 90 minutes away from there, so know a thing or two about Prince Albert. But, yeah, you know, the likes of Mark Habscheid and, and their executives, They've they've done a really really nice job and and they had another really good team this year coming off the championship when the season got shut down. There we go. Peter Lombardi is, is our guest here on Hockey Central. The draft is over. We get ready for a free agency tomorrow. It's busy time in the NHL. We're also joined. We're going to let him on the air finally. Peter Klein. Peter. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see if I remember how to do this. Um, we, we talked a couple days ago, Lou, about how important uh, this draft was going to be for a few teams, but the Ottawa Senators kind of needed this one to be a big day, and they certainly got a lot of people in the NHL draft. How do you think the Senators handled what could potentially be a, a turning point draft for that franchise? Well, they were in a position to have that kind of impact, uh, I, I can't say anything but great things. I, I think they won the draft. I'm, I'm certainly not alone in that analysis. Um, frankly, it's a great story. And, you know, I've said on this radio station over the years that at times I've thought that that Pierre Dorian, who I've always valued and, and have known Pierre for a long time in my travels and getting to cross paths with him, you know, in his player personnel days before he became a general manager and always had great respect for the, the evaluation ability and Pierre as a person. And, um, you know, let's be honest, the, the Eugene Melnick factor and, and Ottawa, it's, it's not been that easy. And Pierre has taken a lot of criticism, but, you know, in a very short time, Mr. Klein, with the help of, you know, some great work in the last couple of days and in the last couple of years, 
I think Ottawa, again, if it doesn't get messed up and, you know, great drafts and young prospects are one thing until it all starts to come together. But when I look at their puzzle board and what they are putting together and, you know, you add Jake Sanderson and I love, I love the Stutzla kid after what I saw of him at the World Junior last year against incredible competition in, in the teams that Germany had to play in their pool, um, you know, with having Brandstrom that they acquired from Vegas, they have Batherson, that, you know, they have a lot of great pieces. And what else did they do yesterday? They got themselves a goalie who's won a couple of Stanley Cups and is still at an age to, you know, rejuvenate his career and grow with a young group and add value and give it stability. So I don't know if you guys see it the same way, but it's, you know, we've, we've had a lot of days and there've been a lot of days on this radio station where Ottawa took it in the teeth with both boots. Well, I think, I think there should be a little celebration about what Ottawa's done and has been doing very recently. They deserve it. And Pierre Dorian and his staff, that has not been easy. So, so good on them. And frankly, I'm looking forward to seeing how all of it turns out. Uh, the, the next order of business and actually had to happen during the day yesterday was uh, qualifying offers with restricted free agents. Uh, no offer for Mark Jankowski, and we're all assuming there's a, a new contract coming very soon for Andrew Mangiapane. Uh, but that, what did you make uh, of the, the Flames' decisions there with the qualifying offers? Well, you know, I, I don't want to be disrespectful to Mark in any way, shape, or form. You know, good kid, fought the odds, I think being drafted in the position that he was back in 2012, you know, put him in a difficult situation. He fought through that, um, all the noise that went with it to find his way into the national hockey league. But, you know, business is business and evaluation is evaluation. And, you know, over the last couple of years, this was a player guys that I think had he been able to take the next step, the Flames would be in a very different situation today in terms of the construction of their forward group. But by the end of last year, you know, he, he went forever without scoring a goal, producing anything. After two seasons ago, he had 17. Granted, I know four of them came in the final game against Vegas, but, you know, there was still 17 and 13 the year after. There just there wasn't enough progression. And when you have people coming, i.e. Glenn Godden, who to me is right at the top of the list and uh, I think is ready to really, really stake a claim for himself as someone in the Flames' bottom six with how he's grown and developed, uh, I, I completely understand why the GM yesterday got to a point where, you know, we wish you well, we hope it works, well for you somewhere else um but to me there just wasn't a fit there just there there was not a fit and that's not to say you might not go somewhere else and look a lot more again like the player that we saw a couple of years ago but just didn't progress the way you know the team needed him to and lou the the, the frustrating part for mark jankowski when we watched him was he such a big, strong man, but maybe he didn't play that way. And that I, drives me crazy when I see that. 
with big, strong guys, and they just won't won't use it to their advantage. And I don't know if that was just his personality or whatever, but if he could ever get that going, things would really turn around for him because I think he's a great penalty killer. Um, I think he's got some some offensive ability, but you're gonna get more ice time if you kind of throw yourself around a little bit like that. And he just he just either wouldn't or or couldn't do it. Well, you know, I see that story this way, Kelly, and I'm no different than you, and I'm no different than most people that watch and really enjoy the game. But but I kind of look at it in the middle because I think I think at a certain point in time, you know, we have to ask for more but every time we see a guy who's 6'3 or 6'4 doesn't mean I think that we should have these great expectations that they're going to be you know a huge physical force and you can be you know a, a bigger player and have other skills and not necessarily have to be able to run people through the building for Mark it, what what got to me wasn't as much about the physicality, Kelly, was more about the motor and the lack of progress with a player who has. Listen, you can't. I don't care how you get there. You can't score 17 goals in this day and age in the National Hockey League. Can't score over 10, you know, and do some of the things that we saw him do. If you don't have some upside, he can skate. He can shoot it. But, but his engagement level, rather than physicality, which usually, Kelly, to your point, can go hand in hand. But in, like when we look at players sometimes, you know, I just say to people, as much as it's about wanting to see people run others through the rink because they're 6'3 or 6'4, what you don't want to be left with is that guy just doesn't engage. You see, you see that, like, and yeah, there is a I difference there. Yeah. Like, they go together, but there is a bit of a difference. Yeah, my, my favorite part of Mark Jankowski, this is sort of inside baseball, but 2012, the draft in Pittsburgh, you got Boomer and you got Pat Steinberg, and the pick is made. And to hear, I wish we had the tape of those guys scrambling. Well, I was there trying to find anything about this guy. It oh, was yeah. amazing. Just the it looked bl- like Yegor Chinnikov the other night <laughs> yes, when he was taken by just, taken by Columbus, rustling and, papers and flipping yeah. back and forth. <laughs> this is he a goalie? Like, oh my! And God. I was the only donkey at home going. Yeah, I saw that guy oh, in yeah. the final of the World Under-18 Championship oh, when they lost to Sweden in overtime. Oh. But, again, that, that took a look up for me, too. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Lou, um, <laughs> tomorrow's going to be fun. Um, I'm not sure when your segment's going to be on. Uh, no, me either. We'll, we'll see. It might be on earlier. It might be on later. We'll get to the mailbag, I assure you. So okay. uh, keep that in mind. We're going to do that for sure. So. Thanks for doing this today, and uh, no show on Monday, but we will talk on, uh, well, I will be, I'm taking tomorrow off is what I'm trying to say, so I will uh, okay. I will talk to you on t- 
I guess the buttons still work, boss. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> the mic might not work, but the buttons are still active. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. We'll talk Tuesday, all right? Okay, sounds good. Have a good day, everybody. Flames insider Peter Lubardius brought to you by the Gemini Group. Imagine your life, your style, your home renovation should be a reflection of you. Give your home the Gemini difference. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Now, studio audience, was that cheering that I was off tomorrow or that I deserve a holiday? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, Whichever one works for you. Either, either is fine. Okay, here we go. Hey, by the way, we are live doing our thing from the Iconic Studio powered by Iconic Electric and Controls. Commitment, people first, excellence, integrity, innovation, these guys are doing so many good things. Check them out online, iconicec.ca. And not just if you're going to do business with them, that's cool. But, man, the stuff they do in the in the community and the charity, the work they do, fantastic. So uh, thanks to them. Uh, looking forward to getting our uh, studio all decorated with their logo and stuff. Going to be awesome. Okay, we'll take a break, and we'll get uh, we'll get the professor in here, Eric Dehatchik. He has seen a few drafts and a few free agent days. We'll, uh, we'll get you primed and see what he thought of the draft next, right here on Hockey Central at Noon. Hockey Central at Noon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Big show coming up at 1 o'clock. We have football for you on the radio coming up after 6, Chicago and Tampa Bay for you right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Right now, we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Now open for limited dining service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975. Check them out at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. You can get it delivered. You can pick it up. It's always good. Uh, Eric Dehatchik joins us now. Um, Eric, I want to do one of those things with a uh, picture on one side of, of the ledger. We've got all the teams looking for goalies, right? And then on the other side, we've got, you know, all the free agent goalies. And now you have to do one of those things where you you click it, you drag and drop to match it up. This is going to be very interesting for this, you know, I don't know, three or four days to see who hooks up with who, what dance partner hooks up, and how much they get paid. I'm fascinated, especially with the news that Corey Crawford is, uh, the Blackhawks are moving on, and so is he. I, this is going to be fascinating to see where where these guys end up. Well, it's a bad day if you're a goalie named Corey, right? Because Corey Crawford and Corey Schneider are both done with their respective teams, Chicago and, and New Jersey. And uh, But no, you know, like uh, all of us are playing uh, connect the dots because um, because this, this, is, this has been like the, the biggest issue in the off season, you know, where you have so many goaltenders hitting the open market and you haven't, you know, like what, whatever hockey looks like next year, the one thing that you can be sure about is that they will be playing a compressed schedule, right? So, so every team I talk to says that like they've been going away from this whole bell cow goalie anyway. Uh, and, and next year, the feeling is that, that the, even the most experienced goalies, the guys that are used to those, those heavy minutes, are probably not going to play more than 60% of the game. So every team is not only focusing on the guy that they think is their nominal starter, but, but you know, it's going to be a shortened season. You, you, know, you, you know, you can't afford to get back early, and you sure can't leave the points on the table by having a backup that can't win games. So, so I mean, that, that's in every war room, in every war room around the National Hockey League. So you have to, you know, sort of... Bring, spread it out, right? you got to spread your cash out. 
Someone, someone is going to have to win some games for you. And, and so, so and I use that preamble to, to point out that there are four players that are going to be available on short-term contracts that, that you might think, okay, that's not really you know, an attractive thing for us uh, because of their age, right? So we're talking about Henrik Lundqvist, who's 38. We're talking about Corey Crawford, who's 36. We're talking about Marc-Andre Fleury, who's 36. Crawford and Fleury are virtually the same age. They're a month apart. And then Corey Schneider is 34. So the youngest of the four. And where I, so I'm going to start with him because I'm putting him in Vancouver. So I think Vancouver is signaling that as hard as they've tried to sign Jacob Markstrom, Markstrom's camp knows that there's going to be a number of teams bidding for him. Calgary is interested. Edmonton is interested. There will be other teams that will be in on Jacob Markstrom. And when there's a multiple offers, he's going to be one of the handful of free agents that does get paid. You know, Leonard got five times five. I, I think I told you last week I'm expecting that the number for, for, uh, for Markstrom could go six times six. And somebody's going to have to swallow hard and, and, and pay that because if you don't, you know, the next guy will. Um, so if Markstrom is gone, well, who is better than Corey Schneider to go in there and mentor Thatcher Demko? So the idea is, you know, you're, you're turning it over to Demko. What you saw of him in the playoffs leads you to believe that this guy can play in the NHL and win for you right now. I know it's a snapshot, but, but they, like, they have liked him for a long time. They have invested a lot in developing him. I mean, after drafting him and playing him in the minors, I, I think that they feel that they can, you know, you don't want to lose Markstrom, but I feel that they, that they think that Demko is now ready to step in, in the same way that Schneider was ready to step in when, when Luongo started to get older. So, I mean, you need a backup. He has a connection to that market. He was very popular in that market. He got a high first-round draft choice when you, you traded him. He's not that far off from being a, like a real good NHL goaltender. Why, why wouldn't you have, you know, invest a million bucks or whatever it's going to be? And he's your short-term solution for this year, and that gets you through to the Seattle expansion draft and gets Demko some time in the NHL, but also a, a reliable guy that can, can go in and, and back you up. I mean, that, that to me is just too perfect a fit you know and i think we've talked about how you know lundquist is that perfect fit in washington because again washington is looking for a mentor to their young guy but they still think they can win the stanley cup so you know if, if for whatever reason Ilya samsonov falters in washington you know henrik lundquist seems like a pretty good insurance policy so I've, I'm, I've connected the dots for two of you the ones that i can't find a home for right now are Crawford and Fleury. The Fleury thing has just so many moving parts because, you know, they're hoping to find, you know, a team like Detroit that has salary cap, you know, space that they're essentially, they've advertised that they're selling off. And, you know, can, you know, what do you have to give them to take him on and then flip them to another team for a different asset? Those sorts of three-way deals are really complicated to, to negotiate. And, um, and, and so I, I just I don't know what the resolution there will be. And I, what I do think is that, that the Crawfords and, and the Flurries will linger a little bit. So, you know, let's say Calgary and Edmonton are the finalists for Markstrom. Well, one will get them and the other team won't. And then that team is going to have to circle back for a plan B. And so if there are really good options like Corey Crawford and like Marc-Andre Fleury that can help you in the short term, you know, that they, they may be your, your choices. So I expect that those guys will linger a little bit on free agency. But I think the teams that have to fall back on him, that's a, that, those, are, those are good fallback plans. Like Crawford, when he was healthy, played well last year. Um, yeah.
he was really good, and, and Fleury, I think, still has has something in the tank. I think if you know he's got signed for two more years. I if if somebody's taking half of Mark Andre Fleury, I, I I would not hesitate to take him for the next two years because I think that he uh, he's 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 a good goalie and an incredible dressing room presence. So you know. Somebody's going to get a good goalie there. All Somebody's right. undervaluing him, to be honest, right now, uh, because it's been so hard for them to move him. And I get it; it's you know, it's all about money nowadays. But uh, but you know, eventually, you know, when you start playing, you're going to want to start winning some games. And the one thing that Mark Andre Fleury has demonstrated to me and to a lot of people around the National Hockey League is he's very, very capable of doing that. Where do you have uh, the Flames for their second? So let's say they don't get. Uh you know, the number one, the most coveted, you know, free agent, whoever you think it is. Do you, do, do you think Cam Talbot is their, their, their second or third pick? Yeah, well, again, in, in my mind, there's a bunch of teams that are going to go after Markstrom. So only one is going to get him. And, and, and I'm not sure if, if it's going to be Calgary or somebody else. I, I just, I don't know. They don't know. Um, so next on your list probably should be either Cam Talbot, because, you know, and I think Brad Living has said this publicly, that, you know, that status quo is not the worst thing. I mean, he gave them some very solid goaltending. He is interested in coming back. Um, I think a lot of people think that, that Talbot may be, you know, a, a guy that lands in New Jersey. Um, but I, I, I think that they would be fine with bringing Talbot back and then having Talbot and Riddick be a combination. But the other name out there is is Braden Holtby, the Washington Capitals school. You know, the, the difference between Holtby, like it feels like he's been around as long as all those other guys, right? Doesn't it? You know, like that, yeah. he's of that generation, but he really isn't. He's only 30. And so he's a bit younger. And, and I, I just think that there's, there's more to give. Now, you know, some of the questions that people have been asking about, you know, Matt Murray and why Matt Murray only went for a second rounder, they're kind of asking about Holtby too. You know, like how, how good is he really anymore? If you look at the numbers last year, Samsonov's numbers were far, far better than, than, than Holtby's. And so, but he's not that far removed from, from winning a Stanley Cup. Although at the time, you know, they had, uh, they had, They'd started those that playoffs with Philip Rubar, so they, there was already some concerns internally in Washington about what you really have with Braden Holtby, and he proved them wrong. He proved them when when Grubauer faltered a little bit, they turned to him, and he played well enough to win a championship. So that has to count for something, you know. And he's a Lloyd Minster guy. Um, I, I I think you know he's a guy that would be a solution for more than just you know, as a stopgap. So the, the first four names that I mentioned to you because of their, their ages, those are one or two-year solutions. I, I think Braden Holtby is a longer solution because of his age. Yeah. Uh, if, he can, if he can get his game back to the level that it was at. I mean, there, there wasn't, I, I did a massive profile of him a few years ago because he was, you know, in, in contention to be the first goalie to ever win 50 games in a season. He just fell short. But that wasn't that long ago. And so, so I think that he would be like, okay, I'm running the team. I understand the, the uh, you know, the fascination with Markstrom. I, I, I would be bidding on him too, but I, I would have no problems uh, if, if Holtby is, is the guy. I actually wouldn't have any problems if, if Cam Talbot ends up being the guy. But I think what, you, what you're looking for in Markstrom and, and why he's so coveted is because people feel that, that he is at an age 30 where he's just gotten better and better and better. And in the same way that, that Robin Leonard was lights out great for Islanders, for Chicago, and then for Vegas in, in the playoffs, I think the feeling is that Markstrom can be that guy for three to four more years. And, you know, if you're a Calgary and you haven't really had 
stability and goal since Mika Kiprasov retired, that would be a very attractive thing to be able to, you know, to, to start the season with. Yeah. Now, if they go with, let's say they, they go with Cam Talbot and they get him at a, at a pretty decent number, mm. doesn't that open up some more cash to maybe go after a big fish up front? Because we talk about shaking up the forwards. Doesn't that give them a little more uh, leeway to go get them? I don't think Taylor Hall is 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 a reasonable expectation, but maybe somebody, you know, you know, on that list, and there's some good ones on there that they that, that they go for, make a big splash. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Kelly, you're, you're right, because it's all about moving parts, right? So if you're going to commit the kind of dollars that it will take to find Markstrom, then you have fewer dollars to spend up front. Um, you know, obviously, you, you do need to bolster that uh, that blue line as well. And, but I've been, you know, sort of beating the drum for Tyson Berry for a while. I, and I, understand, I see on social media that other people have started doing that as well. I liked him a lot going back to those, you know, the, his time in Colorado. I thought that Jared Bednar did a fabulous job of managing his ice time. So there's a, there's a, there's a species of defenseman. Um, Kevin Shattenkirk is on that list. Tory Krug to a certain extent that, that they're just so talented offensively. Um, and, you know, in five on five, they're, they're not that good. So, you know, you're paying a lot of money for a guy that's kind of on your third pair. And, and yet, if, if, if you are a coach with good bench management skills, you, you, you deploy them perfectly. You know, he, he runs your power play virtually for the full two minutes. Uh, five on five, you know, he gets a lot of offensive zone starts. You know, defensive zone starts as much as possible. You have your more reliable defensive guys there. And, and that's how Colorado handled Barry. And he was excellent in that, in that role. And then, you know, just got off on the wrong foot in Toronto for, for whatever reason, whatever relationship could have developed between Tyson Berry and, and the former coach there, Mike Bob. It never got off the ground, and he just looked like a, a guy that was sour all year. You know, certainly, you know, t- even trying to talk to him a couple of times, he's such a gregarious, open guy in Colorado and in Toronto, mm, not so much. So I, I think that there's a lot there for people that, that are intelligent about managing ice time. And, and I would be, you know, like if, if, if he could be a guy that they would bring in, that's somebody you could get. And I think you'd get him at a reasonable price for, a, you know, for a, a short term because he's trying to reestablish his career. So if you get, if you commit modest dollars to goal, if you commit modest dollars to defense, then you're right. Then, then you can take a big swing for a for free agent forward. And I wouldn't rule out Taylor Hall. I mean, I think it's been reported uh, by a number of those insiders and, and, and I, you know, I believe it to be true that they were they were absolutely in on Hall when New Jersey was shopping him uh, as a rental. But I think that that they had hoped that he would be more than just that, and that, that they might be able to to convince him that this would be a good place to sign long term. So I, I would not rule Taylor Hall out. Absolutely not. I mean, I, I think lots of people see him going to Nashville. They cleared off all that cap space. He had a relationship with John Hines in New Jersey when he won the MVP. Now John Hines is coaching in Nashville. So, again, we're playing connect the dots. That seems like a, a logical landing place for him. But but he's from here. You know, like he, he played up in uh, Crowchild when he was he's a 91-born. My son's a 91-born from Trails West. So, um you know, he, he has ties to this community, even though I think the family left when he was 12 years old. And, and I, I think he would be a really good fit. I, I would be... Wow perfectly prepared to roll the dice on Taylor Hall if, again, if, you know, you, you strike out on, on those big names on, on the blue line. So you, there's only so much money you have to spend. Um, but if you're, not, you know, if you're not spending it on goalies and defensemen, you know, you know, maybe there's some in reserve to, to take a shot at him. Okay. I, I, you know, like I said, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I wouldn't completely 
you know, suggests that it's off the table. And it's just, you know, what happens, you know, in those other areas that are of greater immediate concern right now. All right, so let's let's go there. Let's say they, they do sign Taylor Hall and they convince him on, on, a, on a long-term kind of contract. That will be the story tomorrow. Do the Flames have to uh, jettison some of their their other guys? You know, we talk about Johnny Goudreau and Sean Monaghan, or can they make it work? Well, here's what I would do. I, I, you know, I, I mean, you know, you're right. All of a sudden, you're really deep on the left side, right? Nobody's got a deeper left side than Calgary. But then, you know, we we have seen uh, that Matthew Kachuk is somebody that has the ability to to switch over to the other side, and that would that's what I would do in the short term for sure. Um, you know, is, uh, like I, why why would you want to weaken yourself there? I I, I would want to strengthen myself up front. So you know, you have you know really four really good pieces, right? Uh, if if you look at their their you know collection of forward uh, uh, their their forward collection in, in terms of guys that are reliable uh, scorers and now you have Taylor Hall then that'll give you five so you, you suddenly I think uh, can put two lines out there that are you know that are both first lines and very few teams in the National Hockey League in the cap era can have two first lines and Calgary would have that if they had Taylor Hall and didn't have to subtract one of the big names like a Monaghan like a Gaudreau like a Lindholm. Uh, um, you know, from 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 the mix. So I, that that would be I, I think what you're trying to do. I mean, I, they're you know they're getting a little impatient here in terms of taking the next step in the development and a piece. And then the thing too is like you know Taylor Hall isn't necessary. He doesn't drive the engine the way Matthew Kachuk does. But I think he's he, he's a guy that you know is anxious to win, eager to win, prepared to do what it takes to win. Um, so I think he, you know whoever gets him, he, they're going to find he's a very coachable guy. He's at that point in his career where yeah, the money is important, and but he's made a lot of money already anyway, and, and now he's he's trying to prove that he's a winner. And so again, I, I wouldn't be afraid of uh, of getting in on Taylor Hall. And and as you know, like you you suggested that it might be on a long term deal. Again, it may well be that he is prepared to bet on himself and take a short-term deal for you know pretty good cash, and then just you know see where the where the market is a year from now. Because the you know the expectation is that you know this is these these are crazy difficult times. But whatever unfolds in the next 12 months, when we're back at this again, you know sometime in the summer of of 2021, you know hopefully the world will have a more optimistic outlook. Um, the chance of fans returning to watch games will be greater than it seems today and that the economics of the game will, will gradually start to recover. And at that point, if you can defer you know, your commitment uh, for you know, 12 months or even 24 months, um, you know, it may well be that there's still time to hit that financial home run. Eric Dehatchuk is our NHL insider. He is on Hockey Central Noon. I'm Kelly Kirsch with Logan Gordon and Peter Klein. Uh, Eric, a lot of people were wondering how much movement we would see at the NHL draft. The answer was, uh, aside from a bunch of picks moving around, very little. In terms of the trade market, do you think we'll start to see things pick up as we head into free agency here? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I think from what I, again, from a little bit of reporting that I've been doing today, um, the answer is no. Uh, I, I think it will eventually pick up, but I think that the focus right now uh, is on free agency. So there isn't this courting period. So I think most teams have got their heads down today. They're making lists, priority lists of, of who they are targeting. And, and I think that the, for the same reason that, that a lot of bodies weren't moved, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, it was primarily because, you know, the, the GMs collectively said to themselves, why should we trade a draft choice 
uh, asset to get a medium kind of a player if that medium kind of player is available as, as a free agent. Because, so they were anticipating that, that a whole bunch of guys would not receive qualifying offers and would be turned loose as free agents. And there are some in, in, intriguing names there. So you have everyone that was going to free agency in the normal route. Now you have an unexpected sort of second cohort of, of players who, who are now unrestricted free agents because their teams didn't want to, uh, to tender qualifying offers. They were afraid of arbitration awards. And, and there, there's a lot out there. There's a lot out there. So, again, why would you make a trade now un- until you sort of shop the available list, see what the prices are, and then either you fill your needs through free agency or, you know, by next Tuesday, once we've, you know, finished eating ham and turkey, um, you know, see, see where, where you still need help. And then I think the trade market will heat up. So, you know, I hope I'm wrong because trades are the most fun thing to write about and to talk about. But it just seems to me, again, in terms of practical approaches, the, the managers want to see what they can afford and what they can get in free agency. And then, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to, to fill the gaps after the fact. Like if you're Calgary, if you, if you get the goalie and, and maybe you get a forward, you know, it may well be that you have to trade for a defenseman. Um, you know, so I, I mean, every team is going to have, you know, different needs by next Wednesday. And I think that's when the trade market will start to pick up. Eric, one of the things we found out uh, during, I guess, on, on the first round of the draft is uh, the NHL is, and with the NHLPA, saying January 1st is when we're targeting to start the season. And targeting is always an easy word to say because you can always change it. What did you make of that, and do you think that is 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 doable? And and from what I'm hearing, I don't know what you're hearing is that the the NHL teams really need fans in the building somehow, mm-hmm. some way, and and not sure if they can do a whole season uh, without fans. It doesn't sound like it to me. So when you heard that January first start update, what what did that mean to you? Well, well, I mean, we've been reporting that for weeks, right? That, you know, that, you know, with Gary Bettman at his press conference, you know, sticking with, uh, you know, the original, the, so the original dates for, for anybody that, that didn't know, originally, tentatively, internally in the National Hockey League, they had hoped to start training camps on November the 17th and, and drop the puck for the season on December 1st. It became clear by Labor Day that that just was not a realistic possibility. So, so again, most teams have already been operating with the idea that January 1st is the earliest that, that they would start. And even Gary Bettman had said, you know, maybe we start with the Winter Classic. Well, it's unlikely that they'll play a Winter Classic, um, especially if they can't get any fans in, 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 uh, in that building. But, but I think I'm expecting it to be February the 1st. You know, I don't think that they're going to be able to get anything going before then. And I think that the model that they will eventually have to adopt, if even if they can get going on February 1st, is a 48-game season. So they'll have to treat it like a lockout year. So they've, they've said in the past that they feel that 48 games is the minimum number of games that you have to have to have a viable season. And, and, and twice in the, you know, the time that Gary Bettman has been running the National Hockey League, they've had 48-game seasons. I think the most recent was 2013 when Chicago won. So I imagine that that, to me, that's the best case scenario right now. I know they're talking about playing 82 games. I just don't think that that's realistic. I think 48 games and then either a regular playoff, which is what I would prefer to see, or maybe another go at this play-in round. Um, so I, I, I think that, so that's part one of your question. The second thing is you're 100% right. Um, every 
NHL executive I, I speak to is talking about revenue, and uh, they keep coming back to one thing, which is that you know revenues weren't great last year, but we still were able to play five six of the season in front of fans and banked all of that revenue. And we the revenue we lost was final six of the season plus potential playoff revenue. But we did get you know the the dollars from television by running those playoffs in a bubble. So you know the revenues are down for last year, but they're not catastrophically down. Whereas if you started next season without fans, then revenues would be catastrophically down. And 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 there's an awful lot of teams that, that just can't afford to, to operate where you're paying salaries, where you're paying a, a ton of money to, to try and run a tournament in, in a in a bubble and you don't have the revenues coming in. It's it's not a it's a grim financial proposition. And I do hear hints that there are teams that are, are saying that, you know, you they'd rather not play at all than to play in a scenario like that. So again, you know, what does Gary Butman said public, publicly. He has said we could potentially start in a bubble, but the goal is to to gravitate towards getting fans in the building and eventually to have full buildings. So, uh, you know, I don't think there's anybody that has any sort of you know is in contact with public health officials that think that that can happen before a vaccine that playing in front of a full building and that you know and it's not outdoors right so it's one thing for you know the nfl to have socially distanced crowds in an outdoor arena this is you know these are you know arenas with roof, roofs on them and and you know lots of people milling in and out it it, it just doesn't seem likely that you can fill an 18,000 seat building with 18,000 fans until there's a vaccine so uh, I, here's what i would tell you too so uh, what did you think of Gary Bettman's demeanor when he was announcing those picks in the first round of the draft. I thought that that is the, the least amount of energy I have seen from him in a public forum in a long, long time. You know how normally he's in there and he's crackling with energy a lot of times. And there just wasn't any of that. You know, there, there just wasn't any of that. He just seemed to, he seemed tired. You know, he seemed yeah. like he, like this this has been a great strain on him. I think the reason is because, you know, there's a whole bunch of options out there and none of them are any good. And he knows that. And, and nobody knows the answer. Right. There's no. no like, and then he's the one that's supposed to come up with the answer. That's the problem. You know, he's the one that's supposed to come up with the answer. And he's consulting all of the, uh, you know, the medical people. And, and, and they're, they're watching what's happening in the in NFL. They're watching what's happening in Major League Baseball. And, and again, that's not even an apples to oranges comparison because most of those games are played outdoors. And that's not going all that well. So what chance does a, does a league that has all of their, their games played inside have of, of pulling it off again, other than to go back to a, a bubble sort of a situation where, again, players are unhappy and, uh, and there's, there's no revenue other than television revenue that accrues to you. So it's, uh, it's complicated. And, um, and, you know, put it this way, uh, you know, for as much money as he's making, you know, I would hate to be the one that has to make those decisions because they're going to be difficult. And if, in the end, they don't play at all, that will be a really tough uh, decision for them to make. Every game outdoors, I'm telling you. Like, we're not using McMahon for anything. Well, let's just roll it out every Flames game at McMahon this year. I think that's uh, a logistical nightmare, but I'm just the idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but when you're the commissioner, you can you can sort of drift over to pie in the sky for a while, and then, <laughs> then you have to go back to reality. I, I, I put it this way. I, like, I wouldn't mind seeing more games played outdoors, um, but... Uh, you know, like, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you would do that. You know, that, that would be, that would be a 48-game schedule. I mean, they proved they could make ice in all of these places. Uh, you know, I was at Dodger Stadium watching a hockey game in January, so it, it can be done. Um, 
I don't know. You know, the, the, the sight lines are terrible, though, right? Like, would, would, if you went for an outdoor game, you would go once for the experience of it, right? But would you actually go back? Would, would you actually go back to watch a game outdoors when you're even the best seats are 200 feet away and you practically need binoculars to see what's happening on the ice and you really can't. You're watching 80% of the game on, on a big screen. Like, the novelty of it as a one-off, I think, is... Uh, very appealing uh, to try and do it over a, even a 48 game season, 24 home games, uh, outdoors, cold weather, Cal- Calgary night. When the temperature drops, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's an interesting idea, though. Um, when, when like the NHL is having these conversations, so is every other league right now. And with the uncertainty around those, and also the uncertainty around the salary cap. Everyone loves a good entry-level contract. Do you think that all of those things coming into play, we may see a few more players from this first round in the draft on NHL rosters this year just because of financial and they may not have anywhere else to play? Um, maybe, but, but what I would tell you, though, is that you know, you know, even, if, even if a half a dozen of those players are skilled enough uh, that, that they can crack an NHL uh, roster, um, I, I don't know why you would do that, frankly, if I was an NHL team. Like I, even, so let's, let's look at Quinton Byfield, right? So number two overall to the Los Angeles Kings, you know, by, by all accounts, I, I've never seen the kid play, um, but by all accounts, he's very raw, and, and he's going to develop into a tremendous hockey player, but he is not there yet. So if I'm the Los Angeles Kings and I'm thinking, well, my future's in the future anyway, why would I burn a level of his entry-level contract to come into a National Hockey League where there's uncertainty anyway over how uh, it's going to go? How much is he really going to learn if, if we're moving from bubbles to, to fans? I, I, like, it, 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 seems, it doesn't seem like, like a good development curve for any of these guys. And so by, by having them you know, stay with their, their junior teams, and the, I mean, you know, I'm not sure what uh, um, junior hockey is going to look like this year, but you can be sure that, that they will find a way of, of getting kids on the ice, whether it be in, in, in game situations. That there will be some development that occurs with, uh, with these young players. So there's a part of me that thinks that, that you're, you're being a little bit sh- you know, short-sighted in terms of the development curve on these, on, on these guys to push them in the NHL just because of the, of the cost savings that they can, they can give you when you're far better off you know, letting them develop somewhere, and then you know, and then when hockey becomes what what hockey is supposed to be, you know, they're they're a little bit older, they're a little bit more physically mature, and they're readier to to contribute. I go back to 2004, 2005. You know, so the, that unbelievably great draft class in 2003 couldn't play. A lot of those guys could have been in the National Hockey League in that 04-05 season that was completely canceled, and they all had to either go back to junior or they had to play uh, to play minor pro. And 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 I think that they all benefited from it. Jason Spezza for sure. If you ever go back and look at some old interviews with him, you know, he'll tell you that, that he was in the NHL. He ended up having to go back to I think Binghamton, and it made him better. You know, became a, you know learned to play at the minor league level, and then he came back and he was ready to play in the NHL. So I would not be pushing guys into the lineup at all. I would be saying, except for maybe Lafreniere, I would be saying, you know what, uh, we'll you know, see you in the NHL when it gets to back to being what we think of as the NHL. Eric, it's going to be a fun weekend, uh, a long weekend, obviously, Thanksgiving long weekend. When we talk on Tuesday, I wonder what we're going to be talking about. I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens in the next uh, you know, a few days, and we'll catch up then, I suppose. Well, I think you'll see a reason. You know, by, by Tuesday, five days from now, I think you will see the NHL reshaped, you know, through free agency and then through some of those trades that I think, uh, 
you know, will follow when, when teams strike out in free agency. So I think there'll be a significant, a lot, there will be a number of teams that have a different look. And then by Thursday of next week, so a week from today, uh, the ones that haven't been reshaped will be, have been reshaped. So that's my prediction. Seven days from now, when we have that conversation. We're going to have 30 transactions that we can parse when we're, you know, when we're having our hit. Well, that's going to be awesome. Okay, we uh, have a great long weekend. We'll talk next week. All right, thank you. There we go. Eric DeHatchek, our NHL insider right here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Uh, Thanksgiving coming up, right? So coming up tomorrow, your chance to uh, have kind of a cool little contest. You might be a winner. Bonton Meat Market. We've done so much with Greg and the crew there over the years. They are celebrating 99 years in Calgary. <laughs> You're like, wow, that's amazing. And here's the deal. They have a $200 gift card for somebody to win and then another one to pay it forward. And the guys will be making the draw tomorrow, Boomer, Rhett, and Ryan. Uh, 960-960. Text in uh, your name and what you're thankful for this year. And uh, if you win, you just get that. It's, it's kind of a neat little thing to do. Um, you get something, and then you can either give it to charity or give it to a friend or someone you work with, whatever the case may be. That's tomorrow with Bonton Meat Market right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. The guys are ready. It is hour one of the big show. We got football tonight at uh, six o'clock with Tampa and Chicago. So Peter Klein gets things going next right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.